Good morning, friends. Skip here. December 9th. It's a Saturday. It's 11. 11 a.m. Very busy Saturday. Hope all things are well with you. Uh, my voice is a little better. Uh, so we'll uh, try to uh, get through a, a Saturday podcast, which I seem to be doing more and more of. Uh, I'm still a little hoarse. My son played a basketball game last night and I couldn't help but scream. <clears throat> so I think I probably set myself back a little way. Uh, but, you know, that's life. He's only going to be a senior once and play varsity basketball once, so I might as well, I might as well enjoy myself too, right? Um, but I do hope this day is well with you. want to talk about how we know that there's a false reality. How do we know that? And, you know, as I have said in this podcast many times, we will come back to the same really main topic every time. And there's about five aspects of that main topic. However, I have noticed that our audience is really growing. So I want to welcome you if you're new. very close to 13,000 total listens. I can never get a good gauge on how big the audience is, uh, but regardless, it doesn't matter. Uh, I welcome you and I thank you so much for listening. Um, So let's talk about how we know that we are in a false reality. Uh, And the reason I want to talk about this first and and what I'm going to try to do here is I'm going to try to in a a series of five podcasts, sort of lay out the spiritual process, but rather than try to do it in one 15-minute clump, I want to take 15 minutes or so for each aspect of the realization of your own spirituality. So this will be part one of the realization of your own spirituality, and we're going to talk about the realization that we live in a false reality. How do we know that? Um, Well, there's a lot of talk about that right now, right? I mean, there's a lot of talk about, are we in a simulation? Are we not, et cetera, et cetera. You know, when the movie The Matrix came out, and not just that movie, but there's all sorts of movies that, that question what is real. And I think fundamentally, why that's important is because I think we, all humans at some point, probably in their adolescence, I'm guessing, <clears throat> will say to themselves, what is real? You know, what, what is this really about? What am I really doing? What does it mean to be me? What does it mean to be alive? What happens, unfortunately, is that we begin to search out the answers to that question through the avenues given us by the world. And what I discovered and what I continue to watch and and rediscover and reaffirm is that the avenues that the world has given us um, don't answer the question (laughs) because they can't, because they're part of why the question can't be answered. Now, that's really what brought me to the realization that the way in which we live collectively is a at best, a misunderstanding of what it means to be human, 
at worst, an absolute reality based on falsehoods and ego. And really, that realization came to me over years of spiritual work. But it really came the moment that I said, why is it that I'm 50 years old and I've done all this spiritual stuff and I still have that nagging question, that nagging anxiety? I did religion, I did spirituality, I did meditation, I did, you know, getting physically healthy. And there's nothing wrong with those things, my friend. I mean, they can be useful, they can be harmful. You can run so far that your legs give out, or you can practice a religion that makes you hateful. You can also run and get healthy and practice a religion that's accepted. Uh, but none of them answered the question for me. What, is it, what does it mean that all of this stuff that I have been through and all of these avenues they have taken me down can't get me to a place of some satisfaction. And <clears throat> it was really that moment when I had that sort of realization or when the universe sort of uncovered enough of my ego to say to me, it's because uh, the ways in which you are trying to find your answer cannot give you the answer. And that was really the ding-ding moment. You know, those ding-ding moments, those moments of light bulbs that, that go on. Uh, I kept searching for ways to find sanity in, the, in ways that were not sane. And I don't just mean things like addiction, although I did that. But I mean even in the answers that are provided by the world. Because they're derived from concepts, they're derived from conceptual thinking, they're implemented into reality, and many times when these concepts, even though they're great concepts, are implemented into reality, we humans institutionalize them or we water them down or we inject some other strange thing into the solution. And I, what I'm about to say, I don't mean to offend. I practiced a Christian faith for many years. I no longer do that. But, you know, when Jesus taught love your enemy and don't judge uh, that might be a concept that saves us all but what we do is we institutionalized it what we did is we institutionalized it and made it our team against your team in other words we brought that you know wonderful concept about being authentically human we drug that down into our false and dualistic notions of what it means to be human and so what I finally understood was that the way in which we're functioning together, the way in which we're trying to provide answers, the way in which we are co not coexisting, um, all of that comes from these misconceptions about what it means to be human. And it has become even more acute, I am certain of, <clears throat> even more acute um, because we have become somewhat isolated through social media. Uh, of course, a, a pandemic didn't help, but I don't want to blame everything on that. That really, in the past five years, 
which oddly coincides with my epiphany, roughly. I guess it's been about seven years. Uh, we have become more myopic, more focused on self. And that wouldn't be such a bad thing, except for we don't know ourselves. The selves that we live out of are egocentric. They're made up of false perceptions of what the world says we should be. And we put on these masks. We put on these persona in order to fit. You know, maybe you want to be upper middle class. So you get a job that allows you to go there. You find all the trappings uh, and all the things that go with being upper middle class. And you'll find that that sort of life, although nothing wrong with it, and it's fairly comfortable, does not offer you an answer. Maybe you won a lottery. Maybe, God forbid, you know, you, you want to be poor. I, you know, that's really up to you what you want to be. What you're going to find is that those choices that we think we're making really aren't ours. They come from a false sense of self and the false sense of self that the world has to offer. In other words, you probably don't choose to be poor, right? <clears throat> but it's an identity that the reality has given you. Maybe you don't choose to be uh, the, the valedictorian. I use that example a lot. Or maybe you don't choose to be you know, the person who struggles to learn. These are things that are put on us by a structure of reality so that we can identify with it and participate in it. And what I'm trying to say in finding meaning is that it isn't until we understand that participation and our part in it that we can truly begin to work on our authentic self. Right. What's the persona? What, what's the identity that the world has handed you? Uh, let me give you some personal examples of sort of my journey. You know, when I was a young man, I had very long hair. It was the 80s. Uh, I was very much a, a, a rebel. <laughs> At least I wanted to be one. And it wasn't, I mean, I was shoulder length hair, 1982, 83 a man, a young man, and you'd walk into a department store and people would follow you around because they perceived, they put onto your length of hair <laughs> this idea of who you are. Maybe uh, you struggled to learn in school. I very much struggled to learn because I'm dyslexic. But what was put on me, and I'm not saying I'm a victim here, folks, I'm just trying to explain how we gain identity. What was given me by uh, the school, by the culture, was this title, this persona of bad kid. Now, trust me, I had my bad moments, but I, I was not a bad kid. Um, you know, I could go on and on about all the ways in which the world has tried to give me an identity. Uh, I was a Christian pastor for 20 years. Um, 
met lots of great people doing that. Met some that weren't so great. But you would be surprised how many people want to put their concept of what that means upon you because the structure that we have created that we think is somehow settled reality, these institutions, demands you live behind that mask. And it isn't until we finally realize it's a mask, it's a persona, it's a costume, that we can begin to dig within ourselves. So the first step in this kind of five, four, five-part thing I'm going to do is to realize that. At least it was for me to realize that the reason I wasn't resolving everything is because I was looking in places that couldn't. Self-help could not because it made me identify with something external to myself. Religion could not because it made me identify with something external to myself. Drugs could not. Other people, relationships could not because they kept asking me, kept telling me, I have to identify myself with something external to who I am. Now, what's going to happen when you make that realization is then you're going to really ask, well, who am I? <coughs> That's all my voice has. I hope this is useful. I'll try to give one tomorrow morning. I should be able to. If not, I'll talk to you on Monday. Bye-bye, friends.